Welcome to Great Stories in American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about the Battle of Brooklyn Heights. July 4, 1776, at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a new nation is born to patriots longing for freedom from Great Britain and seeking to launch the most ambitious political experiment in the world's long, tired history, rule of the people, by the people, and for the people, a noble birth. But would the United States die in its infancy? Would the British Empire, the most powerful nation on earth, send the fledgling from its cradle to its grave in a matter of weeks? How could it be otherwise? The mighty British outgunned, outmanned, and outsupplied the Americans. The United States Sorry Militia faced the world's most powerful army in late August 1776 in New York. Were it not for the hand of Providence, the Battle of Brooklyn Heights would have been the last gasp of a newborn nation. The responsibility for keeping America alive lay largely on General George Washington's shoulders, as he played a cat-and-mouse game in New York throughout that sweltering summer. The Virginian had arrived in Manhattan on April 13th, convinced that his British counterpart, Sir William Howell, would strike there next. Washington knew how crucial the first battle of the new country would be, that even if he didn't make major mistakes, the odds were heavily against the Americans. And if he did make mistakes, the United States of America would be remembered as the brief dream of a band of foolish rebels. A bleaker situation is difficult to imagine. In an awesome display of strength, the British assembled the largest expeditionary force of the 18th century. Over 30,000 strong, it contrasted sharply with Washington's 18,000, who were suffering from want, fear, and illness. It was David versus Goliath, the high school varsity versus the Chicago Bulls. In addition, American allegiance to the Declaration of Independence had yet to be tested. Was their loyalty to freedom's cause strong enough to withstand the death and destruction that British artillery surely would bring? Might it not be better to surrender while families, farms, and villages remained intact? Wouldn't life under a tyrant be better than no life at all? What price liberty? Fortunately for the beleaguered Americans, the British general Sir William Howe held no great hatred toward them. He stood among those ranks of Englishmen who regarded the patriots as naughty children, who needed not an iron fist, but a firm hand to bring them back into line. Upon arriving in New York, Howe waited over a month before engaging the American forces in battle. On August 21st, he finally advanced. From his position on Manhattan, Washington sent his top 3,500 men along a forested, hilly stretch of the East River. Another 4,000 less experienced soldiers occupied the Brooklyn Heights Fort under the command of volatile Major General John Sullivan. On the morning of the 27th, Howe began his campaign against Sullivan's men. 
Once General Washington realized that Howe was not going to attack Manhattan, he sent reinforcements across the East River to buoy Sullivan's forces that were being squeezed by the powerful British Army. The Redcoats positioned themselves between the Brooklyn Heights fort and those American soldiers guarding it from a bluff. With a roar of gunfire, a unit of German Hessians, mercenaries in Britain's employ, charged Sullivan's front. Would his men stand their ground or turn tail? Only a few regiments from Maryland and Pennsylvania answered the call, and were almost completely wiped out. Some 1,500 men perished. A trembling Washington watching the slaughter through a field telescope cried out, Good God, what brave fellows I must this day lose. The survivors either ran back to the fort or surrendered to the British. Now it was up to Washington to keep the 4,000 soldiers inside the fort from panicking as massive British forces advanced toward them. One can only imagine what went through the Americans' minds. With the Brooklyn Heights fort at his mercy, General Howe delayed. Although his men outnumbered the Patriots, the Americans had dug formidable earthworks. If the British stormed them, they would suffer heavy losses. No, it would be better, Howe reasoned, to employ heavy artillery against those earthworks to maximize the damage to the Americans and minimize his own casualties. If Washington tried to escape before then, Howe would trap the American army by land and water. Even the best laid plans, however, often go awry. A praying man and a wise man, General Washington informed his officers that he was going to remove the American army from Brooklyn to Manhattan. They may have gaped, as Washington explained, the evacuation would involve a flotilla of small boats ferrying group after group of soldiers for the two-mile round trip. The small craft, manned by capable Massachusetts fighters, men who had grown up near the water and had early learned expert oarsmanship, nevertheless would be up against the world's greatest navy. All that storm-tossed night of the 28th, the men from Massachusetts evacuated American troops in choppy, windy conditions. When the wind dissipated around midnight, however, the moon illuminated the scene. Although more men could now flee per boat because of the calm conditions, the British would now be able to hear and see the troop movements. Also working against the Americans was their troops' fractious mood, with soldiers arguing amongst themselves as they waited along the shore for rescue. However, even under those circumstances, the British remained ignorant of Washington's evacuation. As dawn broke, Washington knew he needed at least three more hours of darkness to complete the removal. Only a miracle could save his men and the newborn United States. American Major Ben Talmadge, an eyewitness at the scene, described what happened next. As the dawn of the next day approached, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety, and when the dawn appeared there were several regiments still on duty. 
At this time a very dense fog began to rise out of the ground and off the river, and it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well, and so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards' distance. We tarried until the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. When General Washington finally took the last boat to freedom, the fog began to lift. The stunned British realized what had happened. Eight thousand Americans had fled under their very noses, and it was too late to do anything about it. Some day Howell and Washington would face each other again, but not that day. The hand of Providence had guided the infant nation to safety. I'm Rebecca Price Janney. Thank you for joining me for Great Stories in American History.